Welcome to the Inside Out Money Podcast. Can't even recognize this place. Too many pieces of our past mistakes. Hi, I'm Maggie, and I believe real change starts from the inside out. So let's work together to improve our money and our lives from the inside out. We will explore all things money and our relationship with it. Join me each week with a rotating set of co-hosts, friends, and interviews. Let's jump in. Hey, Erica. Hi, Maggie. Hello, and welcome to Inside Out Money, a personal finance podcast focused on redefining wealth from the inside out. Each week, I speak with a rotating set of co-hosts about a different financial topic to help you improve your financial mindset and tactics. Today, we've got Erica here. Very excited to talk to Erica. And we're talking about enough, minimalism, all sorts of topics, conscious consumerism, but just this idea of like, what is enough? Yeah, I'm really excited to talk about this with you, Maggie, because I know we've talked about in past episodes and different shows of, you know, we know that we have enough t-shirts and (laughs) tie-dye, things like that, simple examples, yet we still want more. And why is that? So I'm excited for us to dive into this together. I'm excited to challenge myself to think about what is enough for me. Maybe other people can think about what that means for them as well after we're done with this conversation topic. Yeah, I this, ep- this episode, Erica, I feel like is as much a reminder to ourselves as it is to everyone else. Because I think we're both, you know, I, I know I like ebb and flow on my, I don't know, levels of consumerism, if you will, like what I'm spending, how much I'm consuming. And I'm in a, I was going to say a peak and valley. I guess I'm in a peak now. And I, I like, I kind of actually like when I'm in the valleys better a little bit or you know, not spending so much time at the peak. So I hope other people find this helpful, but at the very least, we're going to get something out of this. Agreed. Yeah. I'm excited to dive right in. We have not talked about this in advance much. And I'm very curious if in the spirit of enough, you feel like you have enough. Like Erica, do you feel like you have enough? So if I really take a step back at my life and look at it, yes, I absolutely have enough. I'm in a, we've talked about, we're in a very privileged place in our lives. I think you and I both are and certainly have more than enough. I don't need more stuff. But in my head, there's that little ticky tacky voice that's telling me you don't need this, but you want this and it's okay to have it. And that's what that's what I'm trying to tame here. Why do I even feel like the want becomes a need? Yeah. And maybe you should treat yourself because you work hard and, you know, life's stressful and everything else. And that becomes a, a slippery slope in having too much stuff. Yeah. Agreed. To me, this concept of enough has been coming up a lot lately. Something that's been on my mind for a while. And I asked people two weeks ago when we did the episode on anxiety and money with Liz, I asked some questions on Instagram about what stresses people out from a financial standpoint. And like all, I would say 80% of the answers had the word enough in it. Like, will I make enough money? Do I, uh, will I have enough when I retire? That word enough just showed up a lot. And it's a word that, it's a word that I just think is an interesting word. And when I when I have these words that are that I'm constantly revisiting and thinking about, I like to go back to the formal definition. So I'll give you that since I'm Miriam Webster today. This actually isn't even from Miriam Webster. Their definition of enough is like a little too. It's not enough, actually. That's ironic. <laughs> it's ironic. 
It's a little too brief. I like ChatGPT's definition of enough. Enough is a term used to indicate a sufficient quantity, degree, or extent of something. It signifies that a certain amount or level has been reached or achieved, and further accumulation or action is not necessary or desired. The concept of enough can vary depending on the context it is used in, and it often reflects a point at which a particular need or goal has been met. It implies a sense of satisfaction, adequacy, or completion. I really like that definition personally. Yeah, I like it too when the word satisfaction stands out to me. That's something that I believe for those of us who are striving for enough, whatever that looks like for each of us, the word satisfaction comes in. And I think it comes in different forms too. You know, you could have, a lot of us don't necessarily feel like we have enough and that causes us to feel like we aren't enough. And so we try to keep up by buying things to contribute to our own version of a self-worth and it becomes a vicious cycle and we're probably spending beyond our means in doing so. Totally. Erica, that point I think is spot on. And it, when I think about why this matters, like often when we're going to talk about a certain topic, I'm always like, why does this matter to people? Like, why is it important? And the whole spirit and the focus of Inside Out Money was to focus more on the psychological aspects of our relationship with money and why we, you know, we, we know when we're really in this time where all of a sudden what's really important is right in front of us. We realize that all that other stuff isn't important, but on a day-to-day basis, we forget that, right? And we get really caught up in image and spending money and treating ourselves and feeling like, you know, it's okay to do whatever. And so when you were saying kind of the having enough versus being enough, I recently read Ryan Holiday's Stillness is the Key book. Ryan Holiday is big in the stoicism space, and he's written a lot of books that kind of take stoic concepts and apply them to our modern lives. So there's this really great quote in that book, and it was, you will never feel okay by way of external accomplishments. Enough comes from the inside. It comes from stepping off the train, from seeing what you already have, what you've always had. Instead of seizing this path to power, we choose the ingratitude and insecurity of needing more, more, more. And then he goes on to say, enough comes from the inside. It comes from stepping off the hedonic treadmill. Realizing the concept of enough is an internal feeling and not a certain amount of physical stuff or money is the end goal. And I think that exactly what you were talking about of like the stuff will, and I'm not saying certain things don't add value to your life and don't, you know, create some level of satisfaction and, and efficiency and helpfulness and whatever else. But the idea that any of those things are going to truly internally make us happy is just false, right? And I think that's the point he's making of you will never feel enough from buying anything. You need to feel enough internally with who you are as a person. And with that will come the confidence to not need as much stuff. That's how I feel at least. And I think, I mean, there's there's a lot of research and other people who think that way also. I think it's a great way to think. I think the question is, how do we do that? I think that the way that the world has gone, especially with social media and more ways to find means to compare ourselves to others of what we do and don't have, whether we are or aren't enough, Trying to break free of those things is the real challenge here. And so quoting something from another book, which hopefully we'll do a kind of a book review on this podcast on with, it's called Happy Sexy Millionaire by Stephen Bartlett. He calls it Keeping Up with the Kardashians, which is, I I think is just a brilliant modern day version of Keeping Up with the Joneses, because who even are the Joneses, P.S.? But you know, that's the name of the television show, right? The Joneses? No, their TV show is called Keeping Up with the Kardashians. I know, but he compares. Okay, okay, okay. 
yeah, yeah, yeah. I get your point. Okay. For a minute, Let's... I was like, do you not know that's actually the name of the show also? No, but I like that that's but the, the name play of the on, show. Yes, and it's the right. play on keeping up with the Joneses of like, oh, we're just trying to keep up with the Joneses by getting yeah. the fancy new car that everyone has. <clears throat> Tesla. <laughs> Looking at you, Maggie. Teslas are like one of the, it's funny, Greg and I were making this comment before. Teslas used to be like a status symbol. They're no more expensive than a Honda Accord right now. They they did drop their prices. Yeah. Even before they dropped them a year ago, they were st- it's still like they have some very affordable cars. Anyway. Okay. Well, that's 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 good that's not my point yeah you're you're ruining my point here what Stephen bartlett's point is with keeping up with the kardashians is that the comparisons we make to others is based on what we do and don't have and those are often completely unrealistic we see people on social media who are only giving us their best filtered versions of themselves and look at this new thing that i have or what i'm doing and it and what he calls it and i guess it's called in a sociological term is upward social comparison where we're comparing ourselves to unrealistic people like celebrities or people who are more successful than we are, what he also calls compare and despair, which I think is also brilliant. And it leads to a false sense of self and overspending to create a false version of you that doesn't reflect who you truly are and what your values are. And again, it goes back to potentially going beyond your means to create this fake version of yourself. And then you end up with more stuff in the process, you know? So it it all kind of ties in together. Like, why do we need stuff to feel good about ourselves? How can we feel good about ourselves to free ourselves from needing the stuff. Yeah. I'm looking at you for like a hard answer. I mean, did chat GPT have this for you? I didn't ask chat GTP, chat GPT this specific question, but we're going to wrap this episode up with what I believe are things that will help people who are struggling with this, including myself, right? And including you, Erica, right? Like we, we both, to be clear, we're not on the other side of this. And I don't believe we ever will be. I think this will be a constant battle between the society we live in and the direction it's headed in. And what we want for ourselves, And yeah, I'm like about, it's hard to not get to some of the things I would suggest because I was Mm -hmm. about to say one of them, but we're consuming like one of them I'll just tease is the content you consume, right? So actually keeping up with the Kardashians is a great example. If you follow people like that, nothing against that show. I, I have been known to watch that show. It's, it's enjoyable. But if you are comparing yourself to them and that's, and, and, and I'm just using that show as an example and social media accounts of people that are on that show and other people who are just incredibly wealthy, abnormally wealthy also, and abnormally high consumption rates and luxury luxury goods 100% of the time and just really over the top. If that's what you're surrounding yourself with, you often will feel in that kind of compare and despair term that Stephen Bartlett was using in Happy Sexy Millionaire. But if you're surrounding yourself with like Ryan Holiday, who would consider himself a stoic and writes a lot of content on it and other minimalism people and just different voices than that, then you'll constantly feel better and good enough, right? So one of the things you can do, I think, is in the people you surround yourself with and the content that you surround yourself with, right? So who you follow on Instagram, you can control that. Quit following people that make you feel bad about yourself. There's plenty of people on Instagram that will make you feel good about yourself. And I, you know, on Facebook, Twitter, like where TikTok, wherever you are, get off social media, right? That's a huge potential way to help. Um, so we'll get into more tips, but there are ways to combat this stuff. And I don't mean to imply that it's easy because it's a constant battle, right? Like I I have my good days, I have my bad days, but I do know I personally want more moments where I feel like I'm enough and not more moments where I feel like I need more stuff. And I know in my like heart of hearts when I, and again, I've admittedly been on a big like consumerism streak lately. Like I've just been spending more money. I've kind of been like die with zero influenced me a bit. I've been like, oh, I need to enjoy my life. And look, if you can do it 
it and still meet your financial goals and not be in debt and be able to like do what you care about in life. No judgment, right? I think I think the the trouble is when it starts to and what I hear from a lot of people is when those habits affect your financial goals and affect your ability to have more flexibility and freedom and other things. If you don't like your job and you want to take some time off or you you know want to do whatever or you just want to have an emergency fund or you just want to pay off your debt, whatever those goals might be. And so I know for me, like I know in my heart of hearts that I don't need all this stuff to be happy, but it's still a constant battle to not buy it. And I'm not into like big luxury goods, right? I'm not buying really fancy, expensive stuff most of the time, but I do walk in a store and I see a nice tie-dye shirt and it's hard for me to resist. You know, that's why they put those right by the checkout lane is for people like you and (laughs) the tie-dye shirts. Yeah. It's uh, impulse buy. It's right next to the gum. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, see, and that's another thing we've talked about is like, don't go to the tie-dye shirt store. But I mean, also there are just things where maybe it's not trying to keep up with other people. It's just something we want, but it's another thing that we want that's going to accumulate. And for someone like you, who I know is a minimalist, and for someone like me who is married to a minimalist, (laughs) it does stand out in my head of like, why do I have this? The kids like give me a hard time all the time about, you know, how many shoes I have. And it's like, well, it's, it's a little different being a woman with the shoe game. You know, it doesn't have to be. Maybe it's me putting myself through society standards. Maybe after Barbie, I should be like "Mm, Birkenstocks always. Yeah. Well, I mean, what you should tell your kids is what I tell my kids, which is my feet have stopped growing and I have a job, which I always say I have to stop myself. I'm like, well, I don't have a job, but I have money. But my feet have stopped growing. I go, when your feet have stopped growing and you've gone to college or whatever, like done something to go, you know, make a career and earn a living, like you can have as many pairs of shoes as you would like. But when you're on my payroll and your feet grow every two weeks, you don't get as many pairs of shoes. But that's not our point here. That's not the point. And yes, I will, you know, rewind this for my kids when they do bring up my shoes. Well, listen to what Maggie, Aunt Maggie Mm -hmm. has to say to you. Auntie Maggie's got a good argument. Oh, by the way, Erica, one thing you said that I just feel the need to like on the record, correct. I would consider myself an aspiring minimalist. Like I'm not fair. I'm not where I want to be. I mean, that's related to this conversation, right? Like one of my many goals in early retirement was to spend more time getting rid of crap because I still feel like I have way too much stuff. I'm better about bringing less stuff into my life, but I still have a 3000 square foot house full of stuff that I've had for 10 plus years. And it's hard to unwind all that. Yeah. I mean, it's the unwinding and it's the disassociating from the feeling we were feeling when we wanted that thing or the stuff or how it came into our life. And I think that's where it's funny is like, these are things and we've tied emotions to them. Yeah. I have great trouble getting rid of things. We could do an entire episode on like why Maggie can't get rid of things, but I think I'm up there too with it. And it (laughs) could be a therapeutic episode for us because I will do it in the moment of, you know, I'll try to do the Marie Kondo uh, joy of being tidy or whatever she called it in a more efficient and less hillbilly sounding way. magical art of tidying up. Right. This is not the joy of being tidy. No, Um, I like the joy of being tidy. Tidy joy. It's basically called tidy joy. Tidy joys. Yeah. Anyway, I will do that and be like, oh, this doesn't spark joy in me anymore. And then I'm like, oh, why did I get rid of that? And then I'm like beating myself up. We'll do a whole episode on that sometime. But my quick answer is, I think it's a combination of like the, the frugality in us that is there and the sort of usefulness of like, oh, I might use this someday and not wanting to have to rebuy it and things. You know, there's a lot of things that go into that. Because when I know somebody who wants it, I'll give it away in a heartbeat. It's when I'm like, well, where's this going to go? It's just going to go sit in a landfill. Like might as well sit in my house instead. Yeah, I kind of struggle with that too. I'm happy to give it away if I know it's going to a good home. But yeah. otherwise, it, my home is just as good. So I do have a question for you because, you know, you earlier 
finally retired. You had to make a decision around the world word enough. You said that before when you put out like, you know, what money anxiety looks like. And it was like, do I have enough to retire? How, how did you shape your thoughts around what made it, what was enough for you to retire? And like, what has evolved in your thinking since you early retired? That is a good question. I do think, well, a, a couple of angles on that. So I do think the choice of me choosing to stop working myself and my husband, Greg, to early retire was in a way realizing that we had enough because we could have continued to keep working and had more money and had a more luxurious lifestyle, fancier vacations. We could have flown first class when we travel internationally with our kids. We could have had a bigger house. We could have a swimming pool in our backyard, right? At some point, we made a decision that we were happy and it was plenty, not just enough, but more than enough for us to live an average upper middle class life. That was enough for both of us. It was more than what we both came from. And we made the decision to say, hey, we've saved, quote, enough to have a good life for the rest of our lives and be able to take care of our kids and help put them through college and things like that. And if we were to just continue what we're both demanding and grinding jobs, we would just have more, but we didn't need more, right? So we were grappling with this. It wasn't even a grapple because we both agreed, like, we don't need more. We have enough. And we knew that more would not bring us happiness, right? And so it's interesting because I do think the choice to early retire was saying, well, we have enough and we'll have enough and we are enough. And we, if something comes up and our plans get derailed, like the market tanks or has some crazy, you know, just something crazy happens. We knew we could make enough again. We could have enough and we could, we could simplify our lives even more than it was now. And right. You said something that really stood out to me that you realized you had more than enough. And it's very rare to hear people say that, you know? And so I think that recognition was like, you, you had, I mean, you might call that plenty, you know, but I think that's a good recognition and ways of, I, I would imagine in you and Greg, both recognizing that you had more than enough, you had gratitude for what you have, what you've built for yourself. And I think that is a huge thing that we could both work on in the moment of wanting that extra thing or, you know, your our impulse buys or the things we need that might make us happy in the moment is like, well, what do I have that already makes me happy that I've kind of forgotten about? I've taken for granted. I mean, that was something that was in your chat GPT definition or no, I'm sorry. It was the quote from Ryan Holiday. We choose the ingratitude and insecurity of needing more and more. Yeah. And so I really like how we put the word ingratitude in there. So we, we can't even appreciate what we have. We're like, this yeah. isn't enough. Well, this yeah. could be enough for plenty of people. Yeah. But we choose to ignore it and say that we need more. Yeah. And that, that's a very Buddhist mindset too. And ma many Stoic, Stoicism has a big, Stoicism is a, a philosophical school of thought from ancient Greece, but it one of its key principles is detachment from external things. And there are a lot of forces and influences and philosophies out there that are very much pushing us in that direction of realizing we have enough, being grateful. And again, I think one of the biggest things people can do to improve this and to realize they're enough is to surround themselves with those voices and consume that content because it's an important reminder. And right, look, today you're consuming this content and Eric and I are here to remind you that you are enough and you probably have enough. I don't know everybody's situation, but at some point, if you have you know a roof over your head, food on the table, clothing on your back, you technically have enough. Doesn't mean you don't want more. Doesn't mean you don't strive for more. And you know, there, there's certainly a point above that where additional things could add value and happiness to your life. Yes, that's very true. And I can, you know, admit that myself. Like I'm wearing 
wearing these nice Bose headphones. I love them. If I couldn't afford them or didn't have them, I know I would be okay, right? And that feeling, and, and back to your point about what Ryan Holiday said, like that feeling of gratitude and security, right? Because his point is, instead of seizing the power of realizing this, we choose in gratitude and insecurity of needing more, more, more. We are fully secure. You know, we are secure people. I mean, you had job security until you chose the path you're on now. I have, I have job security. I have food security. We have all of these things that we can provide for our families, yet we still need more. And, and it does come back to how are we modeling this for our kids and the next version of consumers. And it, it keeps coming back to the word consumerism. You know, it's the opposite of minimalism. And I think maybe meeting in the middle a little bit is this term conscious consumerism that I only just recently learned about, but I read a book. It's called Saved by Ben Hewitt. And maybe we can kind of tackle some of the issues in another episode about what conscious consumerism is. And, and his book, he took it to a whole different level. And so I won't even go into that. It was something like, well, no way could I even do that. It's like living off the land. I'm like, I'm I'm not, <laughs> not quite you know, there I'm not there. I'm like, I can't even cook dinner for myself. So that's going to uh, be um, when we, when we all retire and live on a commune together, we'll get to that level of conscious that, consumer. I know the landlord's down we're for gonna that do too. It. Yeah. The landlord is definitely down for that. Yeah. But he'd so be he like brought, a very valuable resource in that commune, I think. Oh yeah. I mean, everyone brings good skill sets, you know, his landlording skills would just really yeah. shine in that moment. But so in, in this book saved and some of the things he highlights in terms of conscious consumerism, some of the things that I took away that seem applicable here is that money is a medium through which to obtain resources, not a means to an end. And that was really poignant to me because it's not like we strive for money and why as a status yeah. symbol, you know? Yeah. And then another thing that he says is we're wealthy in what matters and poor in what doesn't. So basically summarizing that is how much of what we have truly doesn't matter to us. You know, that might be like the more and more things that we can't get rid of for whatever reason, because we don't want to put it in a landfill. And that's maybe something of like, well, maybe we shouldn't buy it in the first place. Well, and instead and, my house is the landfill, which also isn't like a great way to live day to day. Right. And then you just have more square feet to just push everything in the corner where we have less square feet and it's just pushed under beds, you know, where I'm like, as soon as I, we stop recording this, I'm just going to go through and Marie Kondo my Throw house to death away. right now. Yeah. yeah. Joy, joy tidy that place up, you know, I'm going to joy tidy. It. Yeah. Tidy joy it. One of the other points that I took away from Ben Hewitt's book saved is um, quality over quantity consumerism with the acknowledgement that what you consume means that others cannot, in essence, only take what you need. That is a huge statement. And I'm, I'm a big fan of quality over quantity. I also love the like, only take what you need. I was in a text chat the other day with a friend who works for Delta. I had posted something about the kids and being excited about the all you can eat food in the Delta lounge. And she was like, you know, do you let them take more? She's like, so many, so much gets wasted in those lounges because the spirit of an, of an all you can eat, like open, people just fill up their plates with stuff and then they waste tons of it and it drives up the cost for everybody down the road and it wastes a ton of food. And I, I just, and I, I was agreeing with her, by the way, I was like, yeah, no, I'm like very, like I'm very much on my kids and like you put it on your plate, like you need to eat it unless you're, you know, shockingly surprised that it tastes funny or something's wrong with like, get a taste of it, make sure you like it and then go load up on it. And I, I just, this idea of only taking what you need. And if all of us did that, our society would look very different, mm -hmm. I 
Python. I mean, it kind of, well, this is an odd comparison, but the Fire Festival, do you remember that? The, oh, yeah, the, yeah. Not the F Y R E festival. F Y R E, not like your um, fire financial independence. You know, when they realized, when everyone realized those documentaries were just like, I mean, that Crazy. was just a Lord of the Flies de evolution of society. But instead of everybody coming together and trying to figure out how we can all help each other have mm-hmm. some to get through what just that what just what was not the end of the world but was like everybody camping for a weekend i know i mean i kind of just want to say shit show but i don't want to cuss on your no it's okay you can say shit show in here it was just a shit show and everybody started like stealing the toilet paper stealing the air mattresses like what goes on in people's minds like i need to have everything instead of just i need just the one of the things that i need it happened during covid covid too certainly everyone started buying way more than they needed of toilet paper the stores had to start limiting things because we couldn't self-limit and say, you know what? I have enough. Now on the flip side, there were plenty of people who eventually, I mean, it's a scarcity versus abundance mindset. There were plenty of people who realized, oh wait, I have way more toilet paper than I could ever use and would start to offer it up to people. But they didn't do that till they felt safe themselves, right? right? And the average person, I mean, I guess as in many things in the world, everybody's different, right? You had you had people hoarding things and you had people sharing things. And so, but if everybody could, you know, quote, only take what you need, things would look different. We wouldn't have as much of a consumeristic society. And even the the quote, only take what you need, just makes me think of like needs versus wants, right? We did a whole Friends on Fire episode on needs versus wants. And I, I love that concept because it's just, there's so many things that it's okay to want, but we should just recognize we don't need those things and we could get by without them. I'm constantly reminding my kids when they say they need certain things. I'm like, I'm not saying I'm not going to get it for you, but can we just agree that this is something you want, not something you need? Like you'll be okay without the facial product that I like to remind them I also never had when I was a kid. I was like, none of this stuff. Like I barely washed my face when I was a kid. Now you guys are like going crazy on the amount of products you need. Well, this is interesting because then it comes back to what we talked about earlier in this episode of how we can say, well, we want it and we can get it. But how do we satisfy those wants? You know, why do we want this? Why are we wanting it more than what we already have? And this is something that I feel like requires more than one podcast episode to really dive into. Like, I feel like we need need an actionable takeaway for ourselves. Like we did our Amazon first episode. We did our first episode on this topic. Why do we spend the way we spend? Remember? Yeah. And so it does come down to that of like, but how do we, maybe we need to come up with some concrete examples for another episode of like where, what's an example of when you wanted something. And let's be honest, the things that you and I probably want, we probably have a comparable version already. So how let's find some examples. Like maybe you're going to go buy another tie dye t-shirt. Maybe I'm going to buy, I don't know, a hooded sweatshirt, I guess, are my things, you know, <laughs> I do love a good hoodie too. something like that, where it's like, well, what do I have that maybe I haven't been, I've, I've shown some ingratitude and I need to go into my closet and Marie Kondo that and say, Hey buddy, I appreciate you again. You spark joy in me. Mm-hmm. You tidy my joy. You joy my time. You, t- you tidy my joy. So one of the things that I think is important for people to understand prior to us getting into some of our recommendations to combat all this stuff, and we mentioned it briefly, but is is the term hedonic treadmill. We've talked about it on a lot of different episodes and it's kind of peppered in. It's a common term when people are talking about trying to spend less money and financial stuff. So it the hedonic treadmill, which is also known as hedonic adaptation, it is the tendency of humans to quickly return to a relatively stable level of happiness despite major positive 
positive or negative events or life changes. And that I think requires a little bit of a double click on what it really means. Like another way to say it is people tend to adapt to changes in their circumstances, whether positive or negative, and their overall sense of well-being tends to revert to a baseline level over time. So when you have a positive change, like you get a raise or you purchase some new item, individuals often experience a boost in happiness. But that happiness tends to be temporary because over time you become accustomed to that new thing and that new, like, let's say you got a a great thing is like, maybe you couldn't afford a yard service and a house cleaner when you were younger. And you slowly added those in and you think, oh, I'm going to save so much time. This is going to make me so much happier. It did for a little bit. They will for a little bit. And then eventually that happiness boost will diminish and you will go back to your original level of happiness and you will be seeking something else. And so it's this treadmill. The reason it's often called the treadmill is because it just keeps on going. You're always wanting more and more and more. You're constantly going to want to be upgrading. And this is human, this is natural human psychology. So this is everybody who doesn't, who who has been able to kind of step off the hedonic treadmill, if you will, they're bucking the trend, right? They're not in the average, you know, human behavior at this point in our consumeristic society. So it's not to say it's not possible. It is very possible. I have, you know, I've had, you know, moments, days, weeks, months, years in my life when I've been able to step off the hedonic treadmill, but there's times that I get back on it. Right. And I think just the, that concept of understanding that you're always going to want, you, you are, pro, we are programmed to want more and more and more, to want to upgrade, to want to have better things, nicer things, more things. And as we get those things, the goalpost will keep moving and we will never be able to keep up. And, and to me, like understand, I don't know about you, Erica, but understand. Understanding that concept helps me to combat it because it, it helps me be aware of, I mean, just to use the word treadmill to, to realize like, look, I'm on a treadmill. We talked about this in our very first episode together. And I'm on a treadmill that has been designed and adapted and optimized by marketers, by people trying to take my money. And I think the more I get that, remember that, right? That all these things that are being thrown at me and imagine our kids. I mean, I look at my kids and I see the way they respond to a video on TikTok or on social media. And they're so influenceable about this stuff. Way more than I even, right? I've I've got tips and tactics and security and gratitude back to those words to be able to combat this stuff. Sometimes, not all the time, they can't combat it all. They don't have any tools other than the fact that they don't have their own money and they're reliant upon someone else to make the decision for them. But that to me, just like remembering that, I think is one of the things that is helpful because if you're conscious of something that's going on, you're more likely to be able to fight it versus if you're just floating through life, totally unaware that that's what's going on, you're going to be so caught up on, you know, that treadmill that you, you don't even realize you're on a track. You don't realize there's a track running under you to to keep with that point. It, it comes back to the conscious part of conscious consumerism and to like what you totally. said of just you're able to combat it. And that means you're in control of how you spend your money. You're not sucked into the marketing of that. And that that is actually really a huge thing. Like when, and we should do an episode on on the marketing schemes that people kind of put us through of like putting the things on the end caps that are going to suck us in. You know, the more we are aware of those things, the more we have control over how we spend our money instead of what Stephen Bartlett calls your lazy CEO brain. You have a million choices to make in a day. You can only just, sometimes you're just like, let's let that lazy CEO take over, which is probably like being sucked into commercials and things 
things like that that we're seeing. And to your point about the kids, it is great that they can't control their money because they don't have the awareness yet to realize that they're being sucked into that. (laughs) And to some level, neither do we, you know? Yeah. And it's hard. Yeah. It's it's hard enough for me to manage myself, let alone someone else who's, you know, getting marketed to all the time and is, again, way more susceptible to it. Okay. So on that note, I think we should shift to what I hope are some actionable tactical things that we think will help us and you all, I hope. And look, this stuff, like we've talked about many of these tactics in different episodes because this, you know, all of the things that people, there there are many commonalities across the types of things that you can do to improve your life and your finances. And you're often going to hear them and you might think like, oh, you know, they've said that before, but it's because it works, right? And you got to sometimes hear something multiple times for it to really land and for you to start, hear it in the right way on the right day for you to start doing something differently. So two of the things that I think are related to what we were just talking about with the hedonic treadmill is one, stop letting the goalposts move, right? So you know that psychologically, no matter what you get more and more and more of, the way the world works and the way psychology works and the human brain works is the goalposts are going to keep moving. So don't let them move. Like decide what you truly need to be happy and strive for that. And so when you keep getting raises, like have a plan where you take the, you up your 401k right away by that amount and you're not, you don't have access to it. So you you can't let the goalposts move, right? There's different ways to stop letting the goalposts move. It's taking the money away from you, right? Like in a way, me early retiring forced me to stop letting the goalposts move because I I took all that money that was coming at me every day and I said, it's gone now. And if I want to keep not working, I have to live on this much money every year and I have to have less and and this has to be enough. And and I know it is, but I kind of, you know, had to force myself in a way. And I think there's different ways to do that. One, you know, again, realizing what you really need to be happy and kind of writing that down and being gracious for it and sticking to it. But another way that tends to work for people is to take the money away from you so you can't spend it, right? Which there's there's a lot of different tactics for kind of automating savings and things like that. And then the other one that's related is just this, your, your term of like, you pointed out just the conscious piece of conscious consumerism, right? Be more conscious, like opt out of consumerism and step off the hedonic treadmill. You now know what it is. So be more conscious of it and don't let yourself get stuck on that treadmill. Yeah. I mean, the treadmill keeps going too of like, it ties in with moving goalposts, you know, Yeah. of like, is bigger really better? You know, if you get a raise and you need a bigger house, a better car, what, what version of yourself are you trying to portray? You know, does that make you feel happier or does, does the spending of the money ultimately stress you out more where maybe if you could look ahead to your future self, sit for sit with yourself for a minute to look ahead to your future self and say, will I truly be happier with those things that will cost me more money that tie up the money that I could use for more freedom in the future? You know, so it, yeah. it, it all comes like all these topics just roll up into one at the end of the day. Well, it's the whole your money or your life thing, right? The whole Vicki Robbins book of, you know, every time you make a decision to spend something like you're giving up time, you're further chaining yourself to have to have a certain type of job to make more money to pay for that stuff. And so deciding like, do you want to keep spending money on stuff or do you want your life back? Right. And I think that is yeah. a big, not to over dramatize it, but that it's true, right? Every time you make a decision to spend money, unless you are naturally, you know, a Kardashian perhaps, or, you know, someone that's like uber wealthy, you're giving up some portion of, of 
of time in your life. Yeah. And that's something we've talked about, especially with you, with your early retirement. And so something that I realized in with you asking me whether I have enough, one thing I realized recently was I was traveling with my family. It was the first time that the four of us, the landlord, the boy one and the girl one all traveled together. And we had, you know, we're kind of in this remote area. And again, it was a luxury that we could travel. This was when we were in Costa Rica. And I was just so content. The kids were so happy. They didn't care about screens. You know, we were doing cool things and just all they really want to do is go swim in the pools in the ocean. We didn't have to spend money to make them happy. And what I realized was, wow, this is, this is all I want. I don't need like to climb the corporate ladder. I don't need more and more things, money, this. I want enough to feel happy and content in what I do on the day to day. And also I want to minimize the things that distract me from feeling happy in that. So I actually want to reduce those things. But then, you know, we came back to reality where there isn't consumerism in our face in the same way in Costa Rica as there is in the US when we get back and it's more things, more screen time, more stuff. And that's where it's the real day-to-day challenge of, okay, well, let's, how do we minimize these things altogether? Well, and I mean, on that note, some of the other recommendations are, we, we mentioned this earlier, so I'll just say it again quickly, is surrounding yourself with more of the voices that are propagating things like minimalism, stoicism, conscious consumerism, and not allowing marketing and retail influences to come into your life, which will come in through walking physically into stores more often, right? When you just like stroll through Target, like that's dangerous. It, it, tar- everything in Target is designed and merchandised to make you want to buy it. You know, again, from the where things are put on the end caps to what's at the register to what the fact that, you know, the milk is further down in the store because they want you to have to walk past the clothing to get to it. We do have choices every day. Like that Costa Rica example is a great example. I mean, you can't be on vacation every day, I guess. Well, maybe you could be, but we have choices to limit the bad voices, if you will, right? The, the things that we know are going to to take us down a path we don't want to go down and continue to influence us feeling like we need more and more and more and put more of the voices that tell us that we have enough and we are enough in our head. And, and again, we can do that. And it's you got to be super conscious, back to that word, of recognizing you know the, the little choices you're making every day, the, what you're letting yourself watch, if you're watching commercials, how you're consuming media, how you're walking into stores when you don't have to. And th- those to me really, I think can be really powerful. Yeah. And, and circling back to, to what we said too, of like limiting what you consume in terms of what allows you or causes you to compare the compare and despair, trying to be aware of that being conscious. And I feel bad because I'm now comparing, comparing myself to this person and, you know, recognizing what that brings up for you and how you can control that and limit what comes from that as well. Yeah. Erica, do you ever meditate? Sometimes. Yes. Okay. I feel have like to use an app. Yeah. I couldn't remember. I'm actually about to have have a actually it's gonna go before then okay whatever um Liz and I just did a bonus episode on meditation a few days ago. I'm excited. It was a surprise, surprise episode. You don't even know about it yet. But meditation is another one that it will help with this because you will never feel like you are enough with the wrong mindset. You know, so this is all psychological, right? This is like why we we are talking so much about this kind of stuff on Inside Out Money. Because again, I can tell you what to do with your money. Like, you know, we, we talk about this all the time, Erica. Like, I've had so many people lately tell me like, I know what to do, but I'm not doing it, right? And you're not doing it for many of the reasons that we're talking about in this episode and, you know, could cover hundreds of episodes, but mindfulness and meditation can help you to strengthen your resolve and your mindset and will give you the tool, the mental tools you need to make better decisions. It is proven. It is 
backed by research. It has got a lot of science behind it. It will help you. And I know the connection between the concept of meditating and feeling like you're enough and having enough may not feel really direct to everybody, but it is, right? Well, it's well, it's indirect actually, but there's a connection there. I think that's a great point about meditation. It all comes back to being conscious in what you're doing and, and really asking yourself, you know, what you truly need to survive, you know? And, and like you said earlier, when you were early retiring, you know, you had more than enough. So what do you, what are the basic needs, needs that we need as people to have enough? And then anything more than that is more than enough, you know, and we, that's where the gratitude can come in. That's where the consciousness, the mindfulness can come in around what we already have to help us reduce the needs or the wants for what we think we want. That's more than enough. You know, you looking at enough versus more than enough. Yes, Erica, I have never had an active gratitude practice. I hear people talk about it. I hear people talk about the benefits of gratitude, like a gratitude journal. And I've done little bits and, you know, attempts at that over the years, but I've never done it consistently, but I can see why it would be beneficial, right? I can see why that constant daily reminder of how much you have and what you have to be grateful for would make you want less. Yes. And I think that's something we'll get into in a future episode when we review Happy Sexy Millionaire, because that's a huge part of his book. Hmm. Um, I probably would say I have more of a gratitude practice on a daily basis than I do a meditation practice. And it I don't even apply my gratitude towards the stuff. I apply it towards like my health and happiness or my kids are in a good way and my or my kids are healthy. And, you know, so that's something maybe to help me get away from wanting more is to prioritize, prioritize my own health and happiness over my stuff, you know, trying to work towards instead of like, oh, I don't like this shirt anymore. It doesn't fit well. Well, maybe I exercise a little more, eat a little healthier to be grateful for what I already have instead of wanting something different just because it doesn't fit well, something like that, you know, but I think, I think this is something that ties in well with being satisfied with enough is having gratitude for what you have looking at, oh, wow, I have a chair to sit on. I have food in the fridge. You know, I think the more grateful we are for things, and this is scientifically proven, Mm -hmm. the less we want of things. Yeah. Another Buddhist concept, but it's, you know, that's, that's like a whole nother topic that could be a whole nother episode show. And we're really trying to give people some takeaways, not like more existential (laughs) things to think about. Well, I do think these, you know, these existential things to think about, I think the things we're all struggling with, right? And and everyone's got a different level of, you know, how introspective they are on on where their financial decisions and habits and traits are coming from. I know you're you're very inquisitive. Like you want like you're you're self-aware enough to know you know there's certain things you want to do better. You see yourself not always doing them and then you're like, "Why? Why am I not doing this stuff? What would make it better?" right? And I think that's a lot of what we're talking about today and we've talked about in other episodes. I don't know that everyone is that self-aware and kind of sometimes you got to like, that's the conscious term again, right? You got to like wake up because I think about times and you and I were talking about this the other day, Erica, of just there's times and phases we're at in our life where you are just so busy and overwhelmed, especially when you have young kids and maybe even without kids and a demanding job and where you're just like, you're going through this cycle of going to work and getting up and getting your kids off to school and going to work and things are crazy at work. You come home, you barely have time to catch your breath. You're getting the kids to bed. Then you got to go to bed. You're, you know, and it, it is an exhausting cycle. I remember I, I have way less of that in early retirement now, which I'm very thankful for, but I remember it very well. And so when I talk to people like you who are like in the thick of it, I can just, I can empathize and I don't even have a job 
when I have days like that, not all of them, but, but when you're in those cycles, it's really hard to be conscious because it's like you're, you know, sleepwalking through life, if you will. Like you're so busy, you don't have time to think. It's one of the reasons why people told me in early retirement that I would have such an array of deep and questioning thoughts about my life that, that are like existential crises in a way, because all of a sudden you have time to think. And when you're working and busy and you've got young kids and all these things, you don't have time to stop and think. And when you're in that phase of life, it's really easy to just buy tons of crap you don't need that won't make you any happier and not realize that you already have enough. And I think that just to like bring this all home, I think that's the point we're trying to get to here is being more conscious and awake and aware of the decisions you're making in your life and that the trade-offs and the impacts that those decisions have is the end goal. It's, it's what we're trying to get better at, I know. And it's a journey. It's not a simple, quick fix. None of this stuff is. And even when you get better at it, you'll have times where you you know, fall off the wagon and get worse at it again and trying to get back into those good habits. Yeah. All of, the th- all of these things are a practice. I mean, it's like in yoga, they call it a practice because you're never going to be perfect at it, but you're going to get to where you're going to be more present in how you move and breathe in your body. And this is kind of the consumer version of that. This is, you know, I don't even want to call it consumer yoga, but it's just being present in the choices we make for ourselves with how we spend our money and, and being present to recognize what is enough in our lives. And I think that's that that's the big question that it's something good to ponder. And it's it's a good thing to ponder with the people who you share your money with and share your lives with. And you know, hopefully that's the takeaway. That's a yeah. takeaway for people. I totally agree. And since I'm sharing my life with you right now, Erica, in this moment, I will just take this moment to remind you and myself in turn that you are enough and you have enough. And yes, there are some things that you will purchase or own that will make your life a little easier and happier. There's just as many things that will have zero impact on your happiness. It might actually have a negative impact because it's just more clutter and crap in your life. And just you're enough. You have enough. You're kids are happy and healthy. The landlord, despite his landlord tendencies, he's a good guy. You know, I think so, right? He's a good guy. Okay, yes, okay. I was just double checking. I was like, he's still a good saying, guy, right? Yes. Last I saw, he was a good guy. And he's a great guy. And, you know, we just, we both have so much to be thankful for. And I think sometimes you just have to remind yourself of that. Yeah. And, and people at a lot of levels are probably way more grateful for the things they have with a lot less. And that's something oh, that yeah. we that we have to kind of also remind ourselves of in this US consumeristic capitalistic society too. Yeah. You know, but that that we're we're getting off on tangents here and I think I think really what we want to say is thanks for listening to to all of this and <laughs> hopefully you have some takeaways for yourself because we know that your time is limited and valuable and we appreciate you spending it with us. Yeah. And if you have enjoyed today's episode and this discussion, we always love it if you'll give us a written review on Apple Podcasts and you can also leave us a rating on Spotify. We really appreciate it. You know, in addition to that, we we encourage you to share this episode with a friend or a family member. This The more you can talk about this with your friends and family, the more it helps you kind of redefine what you're looking to get out of this, you know, open your minds and find like-minded people to share this with. And, you know, if they get to listen to this as well, you know, you can bond over what your version of enough is with other people. Yeah. Find an enough accountability partner. Joy tidy your house together. Tidy joy it. Okay. I'll put actually a link in the show notes to Marie Kondo's actual book since we butchered it so many times. That's probably a great idea. And then as usual, if you have any thoughts or questions, we always love to hear from you and you can leave us a voicemail or text us at 404-981-3370 or hit us up on Instagram. I know the topic of enough is a a big open wide
side topic. So we we would love to hear what you thought of this discussion and perhaps some of your own tips on how you remind yourself that you are enough and that you have enough. Okay, well, again, Erica, I'm gonna remind you one more time. You're enough, you have enough. You're enough and you you have enough too, Maggie. And I appreciate us, I appreciate you having this conversation with me. It's always a good reminder for me to just talk this through with a good pal and like you said, an enough accountability partner. And I, I think that we can be that for each other and I'm gonna do it starting now. Yeah, nice. I just acronymed it to an EAP. Find yourself an EAP, okay? Enough there accountability partner. It's not a great acronym, but we'll work on it. Okay, thank you guys. Bye, Erica. Bye, Maggie. Thanks. <laughs>